Our prayers this morning are with our brothers and sisters who are on the coast. If I can get turned down just a little bit, I'm getting a lot up here. Um, our prayers this morning are with our brothers and sisters who are on the coast. Um, they're, facing, they're facing endangerment of their home, of their city, of their community, of everything that they've ever understood because of this hurricane that has now like made its way to land. And even though here in Canton, Ohio, we don't face the physical threat of said hurricane, I do believe that there are storms of our own that are going on right now, whether they be in our minds or in the physical worlds awaiting us when we leave here at approximately 12, 15, 20-ish. We'll see how today goes. So this morning, I look to continue our series that we started last week entitled Loyalty and Royalty. It's our, it's our view of the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament, and it's a great story. Last week, we took a trip through chapter 1, act 1, scene 1, if you will. We were introduced to the story by, by, by the author informs us that this is the time of the judges, which we now know is a time of complete relativism. There was no king. There was no ruler. There was no person making ultimate authority on the law. Ultimately, people in the time of judges did what was ever right in their own eyes. They did Whatever they felt like they could do, they did, like many of us feel, whatever they felt like they could get away with. Leading to, ultimately, a godless generation. Then, famine strikes. Famine strikes in the house of bread. In the house of bread, there was no bread. And so a family, for many reasons, decides to get up. And get up on out of here and move themselves to Moab, where we find the main focus of our story last week, of our scene last week, Naomi. She loses her husband. She loses her two sons. She's left with her two daughters-in-law, decides to go back to where she's from, which is Bethlehem. And on the way there, one of her daughters-in-law decides to go back to where they're from. And so Naomi is left returning to the city of Bethlehem with just her one daughter-in-law when she left with a whole family. And Ruth, in her dedication to Naomi, inherits the poverty that Naomi returns to. That's tragedy enough to make anyone question. You ever have something happen to you so seriously that it causes you to question everything you thought you believed? You ever been through something so thick and so, so serious that you weren't so sure what you thought about God anymore? You weren't so sure what you thought about humanity anymore. You weren't so sure of anything. What we see in the end of chapter 1 is Naomi's true condition as she attempts to change her name from pleasant to bitter. And I believe... How you respond to tragedy shows what you truly believe about the God you say you serve. This morning as we read the next section of Ruth, I want to get into three truths that we absolutely need to understand about God in the midst of our own tragedies. Three truths that we absolutely need to stay rooted in. So now, in part two, we see a shift from a story about Naomi 
to now focusing on the title name of the book, which is Ruth. So if you're with me, go ahead and turn in your physical Bibles to the book of Ruth. It's in the Old Testament, so it's towards the beginning. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. Numbers, Deuteronomy. Shh, shh, shh. come on. You got to correct me right here. Joshua, Judges, and then we've got Ruth. Ruth is the eighth book of the Old Testament. If you're looking for it, it's in the big number two, chapter two, and we're going to start at the little number one. If you have your electronic devices with you, feel free to fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and or Twitter, and turn yourselves and your electronic devices to the book of Ruth. Chapter one, we're going to read the first four, four verses. Here we go. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. He was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, you go for it. Verse 3. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. Truth number one of our three truths this morning. God is always working to bring redemption. There weren't a ton of ways in Bethlehem for widows or poor folk in general to make ends meet. There weren't a lot of ways for them to be provided for, for them to provide for themselves. But one way that did exist was laid out in Levitic law. It was laid out in the law of God. And that's, that was the process that is called gleaning. Everybody say gleaning. gleaning. This process of gleaning said that when you went out to reap the harvest, when you went out to, 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 to rip up or chop up or whatever you had to do to the harvest, whatever fell to the ground, you were not allowed by law to bend down and pick up. Rather, that was for the poor people to come up from behind you and pick up whatever was dropped on the ground. That's, that was the process. And that was one way they could be provided for. The edges of the field were also, you were not to reap all the way out to the edges. You were to leave the edges for those also coming behind you. Yes. And Ruth had inherited Naomi's poverty, as we saw in the end of chapter 1, by coming back to Bethlehem with her. So she decides, let me go out and get us some food. Naomi is clearly in no condition to get up and do anything. And even though I have experienced the same tragedy as my mother-in-law, Naomi, never mind that right now, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get us something. And this is where we're introduced to another main character. His name is Boaz. Now, we need to relax. I need my single Christians who grew up in church and have heard the name Boaz before to take a breath for a minute. This is not where the story turns romantic. We are not doing that right now. Let's get that out of our heads. 
I've been waiting on my boat. No, not right now you haven't. Stop. (laughs) Boaz is described in two ways, where in chapter 1, the author let the names speak for themselves. The author let the character's names speak to exactly who they were. In this instance, Boaz is described, and he's described in two ways. It says he is a relative of Elimelech. We'll get into another time why that's important. Today, what we're going to focus on is the second thing, which says he was a man of high integrity and high character. So in the midst of a culture that has decided to do what's right in their own eyes, in the midst of a culture that is continuing to lose ties with the God that got them this far, Boaz still observes the Levitic law of allowing gleaning in his field. While he could reap all the way to the edges of his field to make more profit, because that's what's right in my own eyes, Rather than allowing his people to bend down and pick up whatever the heck they want like a lot of other people started to, he still observed what would have been the law of God and his people. Furthermore, Boaz owns a part of this field. So it would be very easy for him to just stay up in his big old crib in Bethlehem and let the money come to him. But where do we see Boaz in this passage? We see Boaz in the field. We see Boaz amidst his workers, potentially to maybe eliminate the amount of hands that money transactions through, and so to eliminate the temptation of theft, or maybe to just be around his people that are doing good, hard work. And when he gets there, again, a godless generation, He comes down, and he doesn't say, God bless you the way we say God bless you when somebody sneezes. He says, he invokes the name of Yahweh. He says, Yahweh bless you. God be with you. It'd be kind of similar to actually your boss coming in and laying his hand on your forehead and praying for you real quick before your shift starts. That's where Boaz is at. Boaz is a good dude, which just shows, real quick, side note, that there is no time. There is no generation. There is no philosophy. There is no society that is ever stronger than God. He is never going to get whited out. He is never going to get eliminated. God will always find the one. God will always find a way for somebody to carry on his tradition. And God will never stop going after a generation, even when they've already said, I'm out. So when Ruth goes out to glean, the text says that she was looking for a place where she might find favor. Here's the thing. She recognizes that she's an outsider. She doesn't know the customs. She doesn't know the land. She doesn't know the people. She knows she needs some help because she, it would be very easy for her to find herself in a pretty tough situation, a pretty unfriendly spot. 
Scripture then also says, and this is my favorite part, and we're going to park for just a minute, that she just so happened to come to Boaz's field. She just so happened to come to Boaz's field. You ever have so many things fall so perfectly in place right in a row that it just dawns on you? You know, that just seems like it's a little bit too much to be a coincidence. You ever have that happen to you? So you mean to tell me Naomi just so happened to come back to Bethlehem out of the 10 years she's been missing. She just so happened to come back when the harvest was good. She just so happened to come back when the harvest was ready to be reaped. Ruth just so happened to familiarize herself as an outsider with this one particular custom of gleaning culturally. And as an outsider, she just so happened to wander into out of the whole field, this one particular part of the field that just so happened to be owned by a relative of her dead father-in-law, a man that just so happened to have impeccable character and integrity amidst the wayward generation, I'm still going, who just so happened to be the only man who can end up redeeming the life of their family, and neither one of them has any idea what is about to happen. No, yeah, you're right. That's a coincidence. That's crazy. This passage, though it is not explicitly written, makes clear to me that even as Ruth and Boaz are completely unaware, even as we all most of the time are completely unaware, God is always at work. This passage speaks to the sovereignty of our creator. Let me say it another way. It's, it speaks to the supreme power and strategery to move things around and make what he says needs to happen, happen. And that should comfort us. It should comfort us in saying that even in the midst of our own tragedy, when all seems lost and hopeless, even when we're not on our knees crying out to the God of the universe to save us, God is still at work to bring redemption. Let's keep moving. Verse 5. Let's go back to the text. We pick up here. It says, Then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? And the foreman replied, oh, she's that young Moabite woman uh, who came with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She's been hard at work ever since, except for like a couple minutes she took a rest in the shelter. Truth number two. God notices when we work hard in our faithfulness. So immediately, Boaz notices Ruth walking in, working in the field. Boaz comes down from wherever. Lord be with you. Lord be with you. Lord be with you. And he's talking to his foreman. He's talking to the guy running this part of the field. 
And he just so happens, out of all the people working, to see this one woman tucked behind several other people. Because remember, she's picking up what's on the ground. It's not like she's prominently walking around like, mine, mine, mine. She's on the ground. She's on the ground picking up every tiny little piece that she can possibly gather because she is trying to provide for her tragedy-stricken family. And he's like, yo, who is that? Like, I see her on the ground. I see her working hard. And the foreman, rather than put her down, dismiss her, or just ignore the fact that a woman has been added to the fields that day, says, yeah, hey, man, she works hard, dude. She's a hard-stinking worker. She, she's legit been here since the morning, and she ain't stopped except for like one second to get some water. She's just been working ever since. Even though Ruth is far from home, even though she has lost her husband, even though she's in a completely foreign place, Ruth does not let that keep her down. That's enough to defeat a lot of us in this room. Ruth is going to keep on going. Even though I can imagine the inner turmoil going on, I'm sad too, Naomi. I'm hurt too. You got tragedy. I got tragedy too. I was still in my prime. At least you had kids, right? All of that stuff can come up when we're dealing with tragedy. But instead, she works hard to find a way for her and Naomi. So much so that people actually notice. One of the greatest tragedies in our city right now, I believe, is young men who are not around to be husbands or fathers. This leaves too many women to be single mothers. And I'm continuously impressed and humbled of how many of our single moms in this room right now have handled themselves with the situations that they have found themselves in. There are so many of you here today that have found every opportunity and taken sacrificial measures to provide for your family because you know second to God is family. This is why it upsets me so deeply when I run into people talking about a lack of opportunity. Talking about you don't understand my circumstance. Talking about you don't understand the things that have happened to me. Man, it is written in God's law that he will provide opportunity. Even in the field when you've been passed over, he made a law that says you can go pick up what's on the ground at least. It was written in the law of the Old Testament, and you best believe it was written on the heart of Jesus in the New Testament. God promises that there will be opportunity. 
promises. Ruth, out here, doesn't even really know God. She's saying, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to go get me some. People who want to start playing the blame game, it shows that you must not actually believe that God will provide. You must not actually know that God is bigger than that application sitting on that desk waiting for you to come get it. Not only does Ruth get out there, not only does she say, I'm going to go get me a job, but she says, I'm going to work hard. Put me on the ground. That's fine. I'm still going to work hard. Some of us in the midst of our tragedies have been doing this. I don't mean to come down on the room because some of you have been doing this, but you feel unseen. You feel as if those who are working ahead of you or working in front of you are blocking your view. And what we need to know here this morning is that God sees you. God sees you in your hard work. You're not working in vain. God will honor that. We're going to get to that. I believe that God notices when we work hard in our faithfulness. Let's finish this text. Verse 8. Ooh, that was loud. Verse 8. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter. For those of you trying to say Boaz was trying to holler at Ruth, this ain't the way to start. He says, Listen, my daughter. Stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young, warm, young women you're working with in my field. Verse 9, see what part of the field they're harvesting and follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you're thirsty, you go ahead and help yourself to the water they've drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done? Other translations say, who am I to deserve such kindness? I'm only a foreigner. Yeah, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I've heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I hope I continue to please you, sir, she replied. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. Truth number three. We have found favor in the Lord's eyes. Just as Ruth found favor in Boaz's eyes. Boaz saw her. He walked over to her. He says, hey, don't you go nowhere. You stay here. You are welcome here. He includes Ruth in what's going on in this particular part of the field. He said, you're a part of this now. 
And I see you trailing behind. I see you trying to keep your distance and be nice. I want you right up front. I want you to go ahead and get right up behind the harvesters. That's your spot. I want you to catch the best of what's falling. Oh, and getting too close to the young men because you know how they get. Young men, these harvesters have been working out in the fields all day. They get a little feisty. Imagine you getting a little bit too close. They got a tough stalk that they got to spend an extra second on. You bump into their leg. Watch what they turn around and do to you. Don't worry about them. I told them to leave you alone. Don't worry about people getting jealous of you. I told them to leave you alone. Don't worry about people who are going to say something behind your back, talking about how she get here, she just was on the ground, now she go ahead and get to da da Don't worry about them. I told them to leave you alone. And last but not least, he's like, oh, and you need some water? Go ahead and drink from the Goodwill. Not that, not that kicked over bucket they got y'all sipping from over there. Go ahead, drink from the Goodwill. She says, who am I? Who am I that she would be so kind to me? I'm not even a servant. I'm a foreigner. I'm an outsider. I don't even get to serve your food. I'm not even a part of this. He says, I know all that you've had to go through. I know the loyalty. I know the faithfulness that you have shown. And I believe God wants to repay you for that. There's this story in the New Testament. Jesus is walking through an area where most Jews don't walk through. Let me rephrase, where no Jews walk through. Jesus is walking around noontime, and he's thirsty. He comes to a well, and there we find the famous incident of the Samaritan woman. A woman who's a Samaritan, so already she's an outsider to Jesus. But on top of being an outsider, she's an outsider of an outsider because she's there at noon, which means ain't nobody want to socialize with her. She's got to go when nobody else is there. She's already been through her own suffering. She's got to go when none of the other ladies are going to get some water because she's afraid of what the other ladies will do to her. She's afraid of what the other ladies will say to her. And don't even talk about a man protecting her because she's been had five of them and they've all left. Jesus sees her. He's like, give me a drink. She looks at him and she says, who am I? Who am I that you would speak to me? Who am I that you would come up to me? Who am I that you would share anything with me? And you know what Jesus offers her? Through his speech, he offers to include her. He says, you're a part of what I got going on now. He said, there's this thing, it's called the kingdom. You're in it. Come on. Oh, and your friends, or not so friendly friends, the people that you're out here hiding from at noon, don't worry about them. They're going to leave you alone. Because through you, salvation has been brought to this house today. And this well you drink from, you ain't got to worry about this no more. Anything you need, you come draw from me. Because I'm not a water well. I'm a living well. So whatever you need, you go ahead. You got it from me. Who am I? Who am I? Ruth asks. The Samaritan woman asks. Family, through the ministry 
and suffering of Jesus Christ. What is communicated to us this morning is the same as what was communicated to Ruth, the Samaritan woman, and all throughout Scripture. To no doing of our own, we have found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God is willing to go to the most extravagant measures to share with us his kindness, to share with us his mercy, to share with us his grace. He is willing to cross cultural bounds and societal norms to get to us. And God wants to do it all because he wants to include us. He wants to say, yeah, you come on with me. I know your plan is lost. Mine's not. Come on. And God will tell the aggression of this world to leave you alone. And God gives us a place to draw from him what we need. This morning, we need to know that God is always working out a plan for redemption, for our redemption. He doesn't need it. And it might seem dark right now. You might not feel him. You might not see him. You might not even know how you think you feel about him. But he's still working out a plan of redemption for you. Yeah, he heard those sour things that you said. And he's still working out a plan for redemption for you. We need to know that God sees us right where we're at. It was written in the law of the Old Testament. Jesus had it written on his heart in the New Testament, and it's true today. God sees you working. God sees where your priorities are at. God sees you going after it. And he's providing for you in the midst of it all. We need to know that God sees us favorably. He does not see us how we portray ourselves on Instagram. He does not see us how people talk about us outside of our own faces. God sees us favorably. God wants us so badly to be on the right side of the history textbook that he is writing that he will do anything to keep us. He is willing to elevate our positions from outsiders. He is willing to tell whatever you're struggling with to leave you alone. He is willing to tell your addiction to leave you alone. He is willing to tell your depression to leave you alone. He is willing to tell your anxiety to leave you alone. He is willing to tell the devil himself, look him right square in the face that I already beat you once. Let me go ahead, do it again. Leave them alone. And through the Holy Spirit, he gives us each equally at the same time of day, the opportunity to draw from his eternal wealth. 